Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, these are sobering words this morning, um, and yet you are opening a door into a great passageway of light and hope. And I just ask, Lord, that uh, all that you intend for us this morning through your holy word would be received by us with gratitude and with joy. In your name we pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be uh, looking at the passage in Luke this morning. Um, these are strong words from all of our contributors, from the prophet Malachi, from Paul, from Jesus. Um, sometimes reading a passage of scripture, I feel like it's kind of like walking into a brick wall. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little challenging and, and uh, it can be a little discouraging if you just stop there. But these are powerful and encouraging words that Jesus gives us. And I want to kind of work through them patiently so that we can receive the fruit of this. What Jesus is telling us is here to really help us, not to cause us any kind of discouragement. Now on the one hand, we're taught in scripture and in church to place our faith and trust in God for the for the things that trouble us in this life and in this world. That's a good thing to do. I do that every day, I try, to place my trust in the Lord for the things that are troubling me and that's how scripture teaches us because this world matters. And yet on the other hand, we're taught that this world is passing away and that there's a new world coming and that this world is fleeting and transient like our hymn said this morning, at the end of our lives, it felt like it was just a dream. Kind of a haunting phrase. How do we reconcile these two pathways? One is a pathway of trusting God for things that matter here, and then the other is a pathway for looking beyond here to there. Sometimes I struggle with that myself, to situate myself in this and come up with the rationale sometimes for why does this matter? Some people really struggle with this question, why does this matter? Very difficult question for some people. After all, if the problems and opportunities in this world, in this life, which are, of course, most present to us right now, it's this life that stimulates our desires and it also creates anxiety and that provides opportunity. If this world is passing away, then how come it's important? Why do we struggle so much over it? Why does it matter? Well, Jesus and his followers who talk about this, the disciples, teach us that it isn't really possible to find our way in this world if we don't have a really vivid picture of the next one. We can try but that actually makes it harder. It's harder to live here if we don't know what it's like to live there. They teach us that if we want to live most fully in this kingdom, then we have to seek his kingdom first and foremost. And then all these things, Jesus says, will be added unto us. So the source of confidence in our lives here depends on our encounter with Jesus and the life that he's preparing for us there. Through him only, really, can we experience what Jesus calls abundant life. You ever heard that expression from Jesus? I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, Jesus says. How can we have that here 
when we know that here is giving way to there. To put it oppositely, our lack of experiencing a vital relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit now will increase our anxiety and our loss of confidence because we'll be asking for things from this world that it just can't give us without God. The thing that I want us to hear very clearly in these difficult texts from Jesus is this, not a hair of your head will perish. In other words, Jesus is giving us a warning, but he's giving us a warning for a purpose and with a promise. His words are meant to give us strength and and not to confuse us. So they're meant to give us everything that we need to endure, and that's what I want us to kind of take away from these texts as we work through it. So in chapter 21 of Luke, this is near the end of the story, so the heat is on. Jesus is moving quickly towards his crucifixion and what comes after. And uh, the pressure's building, and he's around a lot of people. Interestingly, here you'll see the crowds um, are active here, 21 verse 5, and while some were speaking of the temple. In other words, it's not just his disciples. His disciples actually are kind of starting to freak out a little bit. All right, they're, they're a little less distinguishable from the crowds. They have questions too. And so now the crowds are speaking of the temple. Now, the temple is the place where they're gathered because it's one of the major Jewish festivals. And if you can, wherever you live in Israel, you'll try to make it to Jerusalem for these festivals because that's the place where you want to give your worship is at the temple. And uh, the builder of the temple, Herod, had spent no expense... Rumor had it that there were like 10,000 people employed for eight straight years. It was a massive structure, beautiful, exceptional, particularly when set, you know, in the architecture of the time, which was, you know, very modest. We're talking 2,000 years ago. So that when you crested the hill overlooking Jerusalem and laid your eyes on the temple for the first time, the rabbi said it was one of the awes of the world. It would change your life. And the temple was so important. It's hard to under, understate the importance of the temple for, the, for Jewish life. It was where God dwelt. It was the sign that God was with his people. And so when you saw the temple, you weren't just simply seeing an extraordinary building. You were seeing an affirmation of who you were. You were seeing a promise of God's faithfulness to you that you would endure. It was the symbolic heart and soul of the Jewish people. And so the crowd, as they're walking by the temple, and there were various liturgical services that would occur around the temple during the the holy days there, um, during Passover, and as they were walking around the temple, the crowd said, this is amazing. This is an incredible place. Look at, look at how it's adorned with noble stones and offerings. Some of the largest hewn stone in the world. The cornerstone of the Temple Mount is 450 tons. It's one of the largest dressed rock that eyes can see. Look at those stones. Look at these offerings of Israel. And Jesus would have none of it. Amazingly. Jesus didn't give any ground to a falsehood. And actually, that's something that is hard for us sometimes, but very merciful. You won't find in Jesus coddling. 
or empathizing with falsehood. He's just too wise for that. And he doesn't give in. He said, this is not impressive to me. He says to them, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there won't be one stone left on it. Even that big one there that you see, that one's coming down too. And of course, the people are shocked. Um, They've heard that, you know, in God's plan, because they've read the prophets, that there is a day of the Lord coming. They knew that. That's the Old Testament expression for the end of time, is the day of the Lord when he comes to set, in this context, kind of Israel free. And so they're a little troubled, and they want to know, well, when is this coming? And now Jesus begins to teach them some very interesting things. He said, first of all, he gives a warning. He said, don't be distracted by people who are posers. Don't be distracted by people, the wrong people. Let me just put it that way. Don't don't listen to those who are kind of posturing themselves as fortune tellers or saying now's the time. It's not. Don't go after them, Jesus said. That's very helpful, frankly. Because there are a lot of people out there excited about this. It was a religiously fervent time. And there are a lot of people saying a lot of things. And Jesus says you don't have to get distracted. It's kind of like saying this, you can turn off the news. What a relief. You know, it's not helping you. It's not giving you clarity. He said, furthermore, he goes on to give this remarkable assurance. When you hear this stuff, don't be terrified. He doesn't just say, this temple's coming down. He's bringing the people into an awareness of what his agenda really is. That's a good thing. Jesus said, I don't want you to be left in the dark. I'm not here to give you riddles that you can't solve. I'm trying to say, turn off the news, listen to me, don't be terrified. It sure looks terrifying. And that's what Jesus says, yeah, but look at, look at me. Look at my face. Don't be terrified. Don't listen to those people. Don't be susceptible to what they're saying. Don't be terrified. Let me tell you what's gonna happen, Jesus says. I don't want you to be left in the dark. I don't want you to wonder or to fear. I want you to know what I'm doing. He says uh, that um, when you hear of wars and tumults, don't be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. So don't get distracted, don't get off kilter. Don't be afraid of all of that chit-chat. And there's a lot of it. Sounds kind of familiar, really. <laughs> you know, to today's, day and, to today's day and age, I'll get more into that. So I want you to not lose sight of the forest or the trees. There's a very disturbing message that Jesus has just given. This temple's coming down. What? That's, that's traumatic. But it's not traumatic for a follower of Jesus because we're prepared, we're trained, we're brought close to his words. Jesus says, I'm gonna reassure you. I wanna give you an explanation. I wanna tell you what's gonna happen. I want you to know that you can trust me. Very helpful words for his followers because did you know these things happened? In the year 70, the Romans came in and they took down the entire temple every stone brought down. 
And in the year 135, there was a second revolt and the Romans came in and plowed the whole thing under. It just rubble. How terrible. Can you imagine what the disciples would have felt like had they been pre- unprepared completely to deal with the rupture of Israel's holiest place? They would have been left completely and utterly dismayed. But they weren't because they had these words that Jesus prepared them for. Very, very kind, very helpful, very helpful for us. Now Jesus moves forward in a kind of a teaching. This is in verse 10 and following. And this is part of a larger sermon that Jesus gives, which we won't go through all of it today. It's a lot to metabolize. This is just the first part. What Jesus is gonna talk to us now about is the end. There's a, a kind of a word that you'll hear in Bible studies called apocalypse. You ever heard the word apocalypse? There's movies about apocalypse. It's just the end, the end of something. But it's more than just the end of something. The, an apocalypse in the Bible's terms means the description of God's world breaking into this one. That's a really important thing to know. Even if you can't remember the word, that's a very important thought in all of Scripture is that God's world is taking this one over. And there's going to come a day when that journey ends, when the darkness and sin and awfulness and injustice and terrible things of this world yield finally and completely to the perfection and joy and victory and triumph of a brand new world. That movement is what we're on, we're in that as God's people and there's gonna come a day when it ends, when that journey ends and it's a, the Bible calls it a great and terrible day. It's terrible for God's enemies and it's great for God's friends. And that's what Jesus is about to describe here. Okay, so first of all, he talks about tumult. I think we sang about that in our, one of our hymns, but it's kind of an old-fashioned word, but tumultuous stuff. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So there's political warfare. There's going to be natural calamity, earthquakes, famines, pestilences. And then there's going to be something that God calls, that Jesus calls tears and signs from heaven. The veil between this world and the next is going to get a little thin can only imagine what that might be. Political upheaval, natural upheaval, confusion. Yeah, that sounds like what we're talking about today. Global warming. Global warming and, and climate change has young people freaked out completely. I'm not saying whether it should or shouldn't. I, I'm just describing something. I mean, for people my son's age, this is a terribly anxiety-inducing issue. And we should be alarmed. You know, we, we wonder, for those of us a little older, what's gonna happen to this country? We can feel it loosening from its moors. You know, for those of us who pay attention to global affairs and to our brothers and sisters are in, in the body of Christ around the world, we know that things are extremely unstable. It feels like this already. So when Jesus is saying there's going to be warfare and earthquakes and natural disasters, we can kind of connect to what he's saying and we're grateful that he's telling us about this because he's saying, I know that. 
not one single one of these things is happening outside of God's care, outside of his providence, outside of his watchfulness, outside of his knowledge. He's not disturbed. But Jesus says to his disciples and his followers, but before those things happen, there's going to be persecution of you, he's saying to his disciples. And this is going to come first. They're gonna put you out of the synagogue, which is what happened. Sadly and tragically, and this is for another sermon, the Jewish people did not embrace faith in Jesus. And they became very aggravated at the presence of Jewish people who did. And after the destruction of the temple, when the Jewish people had to kind of clamp down on dissension, the friction between the Jews who did believe in Jesus and those who didn't got very, very strong. And they would not tolerate in the synagogue any kind of unorthodoxy. And so they, they cast the Jewish believers in Jesus out of the synagogue community. Very difficult, very awful on both sides. They would put them in prison. Um, they would speak before governors. I mean, think of the ministry of the Apostle Paul who did exactly that. Because of his imprisonment, he had an opportunity to bear witness, and that's one of the most shocking things is Jesus says, um, you will have an opportunity to bear witness. This is exactly what you'll see written about now in the book of Acts. But do you see how this terrible word of persecution, did it, did it diminish the confidence of the disciples? Did it discourage them? Did it cause them to run and hide? Exactly the opposite. The disciples were emboldened and privileged to go and lay their lives down for Jesus. And that's what we read about in the early church. And so you'll see that uh, the instruction moves from this teaching about the apocalypse to kind of um, a promise. He said, settle it therefore in your minds. In other words, actually ponder this and bring yourself to a settled place. Don't be disturbed by these things which I've just shared with you that will happen as a part of this way, giving way to the next world. Actually, he says in verse 14, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate before on how to answer. You don't need to know that. Come to a settled place. Come to a place of conviction. Let it happen within you not to worry about what you're gonna say or do in that moment when nobody can predict what they're gonna say or do. Nobody knows what they're gonna do under threat of death. I certainly don't, and I don't think anybody does. But what Jesus is saying is you don't need to plan that one out. I will give you a mouth. That means I will give you agency, I will give you power, I will give you authority, that's the mouth. And I will give you wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Thank God. Now, interestingly, you might say, well, wait a second, Jesus goes on to say not a hair of your head will perish? Like, did he just get confused? Like, he's given to the whole thing about how you are gonna die and even worry you're gonna get betrayed by your family and then you tell me not one, head of my, not one hair of my head will, be, will perish. Like, I just, I just thought you said we're gonna perish. Not, like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And this is what is really, really important for us to understand. What he's talking about is ultimately our eternal life, which is more valuable than this one. 
That's, I think, where sometimes we get a little, we feel a little tense inside because what it's really exposing to us is whether or not we actually believe this or not. That's how I experience it. Jesus is saying something very encouraging. He's saying, you will triumph eternally. And I'm gonna probably have one of two responses. I'm gonna say, thank God, or I'm gonna say, I don't care. Now that might sound a little callous, and I don't mean it that way. I'm talking about my emotions. My emotions may say, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, in my mind, but in my heart, I'm really bothered by this life. I don't want my family to turn me into the government. I don't want to be persecuted to the point of death and die young. I don't want to be cast out of my community. I, I actually, I want those things, and I want them more than a promise of something that I don't really even understand. Like, I really want to be a part of my synagogue. I really want to be a part of my family, and I really want to live a long and happy life. That's what I really, really want. In fact, that's what I expect. That's what I pray for every day. And I know you're telling me about some life that comes after this one, but I don't even really get that one. I'm glad, I'll be glad when I get there that I have it, but right now I'm really focused on this stuff. I mean, I'm describing my own self a little bit. Maybe I'm describing some of you as well. I don't want any of those things. It's a really good exercise for us to be able to say how much of a grasp do we really have on the next life? Because what's the next life really about really isn't a place, it's about a relationship. I mean, it is a place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, but it's where I am, there you would be with me. I have a suspicion that our confidence depends most of all on whether or not we experience the presence of Jesus Christ here and now because he's the king of that world that he's preparing for us in the future. And when we know him and when our picture of our eternal life becomes more vivid and more powerful, our gratitude for the triumph then will grow more and more and we'll be more and more set free to live this life with more vigor, with more richness, with more compassion, with more generosity, with more freedom, with more levity, with more joy. It's important to understand that this world is going to give way to the new world. It's important for us to know that so that we put our trust in the right things. Where your treasure is, Jesus said, there will your heart be also. Here's the way that the apostle Peter, Peter says it in 2 Peter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Pretty sobering view of this world, but it's important for us to hear that. It's important for us to know that this world isn't gonna yield everything that we need for the next one. 
But there's a result of that world being burned up. Here's how John puts it. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. That's the thing that we need to have in our hearts the most of all. The, The story of the Bible is meant to make us equipped for the new world and to know the Lord of the new world and for that new world to be more vivid, more real, more alive to us so that we can become more and more confident in this one. Jesus is treating us as friends, not enemies. That's the next thing I want us to just take away from this. Number one, the world is passing away. Number two, Jesus is treating us as friends, not enemies, by telling us these things. Doom and gloom is for God's enemies, not for his followers. Jesus is telling us that he's gonna be with us and that should make all the difference in the world, all the difference. Paul said this, the apostle Paul, who faced a lot of challenges and hardships. I'm sorry, I'm futzing with my watch. It's just broken, so sorry. Um, Paul says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you feel that in your gut? If God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus will tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. The question is, are we listening? Are we growing in our faith and trust with him? Are you gonna be there with us? So the world is passing away. God is, uh, Jesus has been very merciful to tell us what we need to know. And thirdly and lastly, we're called to endure Endurance is an important quality of Christian character. The crowd of followers wanted the end to come too quickly. Jesus said, not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. We would love to rush to the end now. That's what the disciples were hoping for. Shazam! You know, Jesus came, bang, the Romans are gone, we're good to go. And it's just not God's program. The crowd of followers wanted the journey to end early, but God's time's different. Why is that? Well, God has a lot of children he's getting into the kingdom. Here's how it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, for it is fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Why? so that he could bring in a lot of sons and daughters. He loves children, and there's nothing more important to him than to make sure that that's done. There's something important about this process that we're on. Very, very important. Your life is super important. It's not easy. In fact, sometimes it's really hard. But when we grow in Christ and we we submit to the challenge of becoming mature Christians, our capacity will grow and we'll be able to to bear more fruit. Paul says, because we've been justified by faith and have confidence on that day, that terrible day, because of our faith in Christ, we have peace with God and we're able to rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words are hard for us in closing here to the extent that our grasp on this world is too tight. 
but when our vision of the world to come becomes more vivid and more real, then his words become encouraging because we're going to gain what he's promised. If our vision is truly about the real life of the new world, about healed bodies, about comforted souls, about deep fellowship, about the uninterrupted vision of the face of Jesus Christ, then these words of promise become encouraging. We're gonna make it because Jesus promised. We don't have to worry about the challenge of persecution. God will help us. We are not left alone because the Holy Spirit is with us. Our lives here are important because we're doing something important to God. This is how the psalmist says it. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Without Jesus, it's overwhelming, but we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Amen.